Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 72. It's quite a cool uh, reason for me leaving Africa today. And you're probably wondering, Wallace, what do you mean? Especially if you've never watched an R2Cast before. But last week, uh, we were in Rwanda with Regis Umujiraneza, who spoke about food and farming in Rwanda and uh, how he has worked himself up to very high in the, the policy side in Rwanda. So that was really cool. And next week, we'll be going to Zimbabwe to speak to a blueberry agronomist. And now, I've came back to speak to someone in the UK this week, but obviously, to have done such a thing, to go Africa, UK, Africa, it must be an important and interesting guest. And today, it very much is. I've had some comments in the past about my beard. Well. I think this man maybe tops it, certainly from a hair perspective. But just before I introduce you to our guest today, um, I just want to say a quick thank you because yesterday at the point of recording, Spotify Wrapped came out when you get all the feeling like you're on LSD videos, that this is what uh, music you've listened to and podcasts and all that sort of thing. And I found out that I was in 450 people's top 10 podcasts, 320 people's top five and 150 people's top one podcast so that was really cool so thanks for that and it's quite important to mention spotify is about five percent of my non-youtube views so this is going really well it's really fun and i'm really enjoying doing this podcast but enough about me and enough about that nonsense we're going to welcome today's guest uh, mr james edwards james would you like to say hello 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 how are you doing before we get on in to another excellent episode of the r2 cast i would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today the scottish farmer a weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry, whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads, or just wholesome stories happening in the industry. The Scottish farmer's got it for you. It's uh, This is going to be a fun one because um, James originally got in touch with me. In fairness, I barely knew his name was James until about two days ago. He's just JJ Livestock to me on Instagram. He got in touch and asked me some questions about who I choose to have on the podcast, why, and so on. And it was very much, he said, I don't know if you're going to like this question. And we've just been, I'll not say the word I mean, but just really nasty to each other for the last month and really got to like each other, I think is the fair way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think it's kind of, yeah, that's very true. Certain acerbic kind of um, relationship, but, yes. uh, but, but very functional. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. A, high, a highly fun, functioning, offensive Instagram voice note relationship is what we built, and, and it's and it, it's all about the voice notes. So it's it's a lot it's a lot better. Like writing, you know, just typing it out doesn't really have the same the same kind of meaning or effect. Um, and I think a lot of the time, if I just wrote some of the things I said, people would never speak to me again. So at least a voice note makes it sound slightly more uh, kind In of fairness. Yeah, well, that's it. But in fairness, I mean, even when you voice note it, I really can't bother responding. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that it's... one. I just get the, the thumbs up. Oh, I'm just too busy, you know. Um, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, James, I say it all the time, has got a, a, a good a good story, hence why he's on the Articast today. Um, there's not many men or many people, really, I know quite as busy as the man we're speaking to today. Um, I described him as... And I don't normally swear on the podcast, but here we are. I think I'm going to give you the description I gave of him yesterday after he said something to, to me. I said he gives off the aura of being a knob, um, but there really is a caring heart in there somewhere. And I genuinely think that is the best way to describe this guy. And, sure and, I gonna... did, and I've already told you, Wallace, I'm going to get that on a T-shirt. <laughs> that's, going to be, that's going to be my new, like, you know, 
my new branding. I do expect a tag. I do expect. A tag. <laughs> yeah, you get. We already, we already agreed. You get. You know, ten percent of profits. You know, when I when I hit it big with the uh, the aura of knob brand. <laughs> can't wait for that to go viral. Mate. Can't wait. Um, but James, could you tell us a bit about like your starting life? Are you from farming or um, not originally? Not entirely. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Wales. So I grew up in sort of sheep country, uh, sheep and cattle country. So. There's not really any arable. Um, it's all livestock farms. Um, in the last, sort of, I suppose, 10 years, it's become more kind of lifestyle buyers. But certainly when I grew up, it was all family farms, all predominantly small family farms, lots and lots of livestock. So kind of growing up, I had lots of friends, you know, who farmed sheep. And I was always around it, but didn't grow up on a farm, just grew up in the countryside. Mum was a primary school teacher. Uh, Dad managed a leisure centre, then became a lecturer. Um, and he had, when I was a little little kid, he had sort of a hundred odd ewes, um, primarily because they, my parents kind of grew up in the Welsh Valleys and then they'd moved out to the kind of countryside and dad was, you know, into, into shooting, hunting, fishing, dogs and just a whole thing. And I think he became quite friendly with a, a neighbouring farmer, a really old boy from a kind of, uh, farming dynasty um you know two plastic hips and uh and a kind of rundown farmhouse and just a you know flat cap kind of always wore a tweed jacket proper you know old school farmer um, yeah yeah lovely <laughs> chap. And he, him and my dad became quite friendly um and he actually took dad's market one day and and sort of he and dad ended up buying a few sheep and then had you know a few rented bits of ground in the area and just had a hundred odd ewes and so there were bits of kind of growing up where that were farming, like really low tech farming. So I remember cutting a bit of hay with a with an old sit on kind of uh, either a Dexter or a Fergie um, with a finger bar mower. You know what I mean? That kind of really, you know, little old clunky baler and and from one of the neighbours and handballing all these little bales and yeah. So so I didn't grow up on a farm, but I did have a little bit of a an introduction when I was just like a younger child and then dad got rid of the sheep. Um, and, and that was kind of that. But so I did, I, before I got into farming myself, I did know a little bit about, you know, which end of a sheep was which and had seen a bit of the kind of farming calendar. So it was something that I knew that I was really interested in. Yeah. It didn't, yeah. you know, come down from sort of manner from heaven. Um, there was that plant of the seed, I think as a child, sort of the best memories I had, of being a, a younger child was spending time with dad out doing, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to go out with your dad, don't you? Doing stuff. And if that stuff involves animals and dogs and clunking about outside in the countryside, then, you know, that was it. So that's probably the reason that the seed was planted, but then went through a long time of just, you know, very normal sort of childhood. Went to, you know, went to school, did this, that and the other, and, and went all the way through to, sort of my through my teens didn't have anything to do with farming all the way into my early 20s and then sort of through a series of random coincidental stuff ended up all of a sudden becoming a farmer and then it just sort of mushroomed from there because of a few chance meetings and things and all of a sudden I I now have to accept that I probably am a sheep farmer um (laughs) I think it would be difficult and we'll get into this later on for you to accept you're not a sheep farmer I think that would be almost (laughs) impossible at this point it's quite interesting you said you know you just want to be out with your dad and it probably speaks volumes as to why i've got such a gut on me because where dad went was the chippy um 
So that was, that was my venture out. <laughs> Dad, if you're listening, I know that was a joke. Don't take it too, too, too much. Um, but uh, you moved, you started you through a series of different conversations and whatnot. You found yourself back in farming. You have a past life as well, very yes. much. Um, let, let's talk about that. I'm going to say nothing more than anthropology because I, uh, from what I understand, believe that's the study of human interaction, but that probably is wrong. Uh, so I'll let you explain what your past is. <laughs> yeah, so so I kind of, I went to school um, in, in kind of rural-ish Wales in a place called Monmouth, went to a comprehensive, um, really liked history and English, wasn't a particular fan of maths, wasn't a massive fan of science, but liked biology, liked the stuff with animals, um, really liked music, used to put on a few gigs and stuff like was really into punk music and put on a few gigs in the kind of local area. And anyway, applied for university, applied for uh, various places, do various things, everything from war studies in King's College, London. don't know why. seemed like a cool story um, through to ancient history in Edinburgh. So I went to Edinburgh University to do ancient history. And as you probably know, you know, being in, in Scotland, when you go to university, you do outside courses. So in my first year, I did ancient history and I also did some classical archaeology, social anthropology, um, and I think philosophy. Anyway, really, really liked the anthropology. It was, you know, I think the first year, the first kind of lecture was on um, witchcraft. So does witchcraft exist uh, amongst a group of people called the Azande who are in the southern Sudan? And without okay. wanting to go too heavily into it. Um, yes, so then witchcraft does exist, but it acts as a, a sort of massive social leveller. So when something really bad happens, so you've got, you're a farmer, you've got cows, all your cows die, probably anthrax. Um, the village goes, ooh, all your cows have died. It must have been a curse from a witch. And then they obviously all look around for the witch. And if they find the witch, they're going to do terrible things to the witch. So witches are described as, you know, mean, unsociable, not very community spirited people. And so when the bad thing happens and all the cows die, everyone's really desperate to not be seen as a witch. So suddenly everyone's around, you know, oh, do you want a cow? I'll give you a hand. Like, you know, it brings the community together because everyone's so desperate to not be seen as the witch. And then said witch hunt goes on and they decide, well, it can't be any of us because we're all really nice. Um, and so they blame someone from another village. And so in, in that sense, witchcraft does exist for them and it acts as a sort of social tool. Um, but anyway, the, basically, first lecture in, we're talking about you know african tribes and witchcraft and curses and all this stuff and i was sold um and then we did i think the second thing we did was the kalahari bushman in the um uh, sort of uh, well in the kalahari oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, where they're commonly found and we did a lot of stuff <laughs> on persistent persistence hunting and it was just cool and i was like Do you know if i'm going to spend four years at university going to lectures learning something then i'd this is cool. Like I could do four years of learning about all this stuff. And it was just, it was just fascinating. And it was, you know, Edinburgh is a brilliant university and I had some amazing lecturers. And so, yeah, so I did, I did three year degree and a year masters in social anthropology uh, at Edinburgh and um, lived in Edinburgh and had an amazing time and then stayed on for a bit longer in Scotland. Um, and during that time period, sort of filled my time with lots of other stuff, ended up putting on some club nights and, um, 
I don't know if you how well you know Edinburgh, but there used to be a club called the Bongo Club, which is now oh, yeah. shut down. Yeah, which is cool. So never been, but I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now shut down, unfortunately, but it was really cool. So we did we did sort of put on club nights there, and then started running a record label, and yeah, that was great. And and it was a very non farming, non rural, um, very urban lifestyle for a bit. But see, um, I think quite quite cool and important. You know, I don't know if I've ever told you, James, but the reason I started this podcast was a few people are asking me, like, how'd you get into farming? And that's why I love doing this whole thing that you do not have to have been, you know, well, you said it's important to know the front and the back of the sheep. It's always important to know the tails at the front. <laughs> um, uh, and to know that at the start is, uh, is, is not always, uh, always required. There's so many different ways in. Uh, but there is no way you're going to tell me that story and we're not going to go back to witchcraft. So, in... The uh, Azande in South yeah. uh, Sudan, did you say? Um, Southern Sudan, yeah. So they believe a witch is uh, a human em- embodiment. There is a person on the ground that is that witch. It's not a thing yeah. up there. Yeah. Yeah. Is it always female? No, 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 no. Okay. Male, female. Um, generally, an adult, male or female doesn't. You know, there's no, there's no gender based. It's just, it's, it's just somebody that has you know cursed you um and they are therefore obviously like a not and i guess you know originally it probably gave them an excuse to ostracize people from the community that didn't didn't play ball but after a while you know everyone in the community learns and so even though you might not be the most supportive when everything's going really well when people don't necessarily need you the minute something somewhere for somebody goes bad everyone pulls around them and and sort of acts actually positively there's an amazing positive response to that, isn't there? Like, you know, that yes, maybe it might be against your will to be that positive community-driven helper, but there's not really many negative sides to that. That's quite, that's quite, no. it's quite cool and, to have utilised that fear. And that's that's the thing I found really interesting about anthropology. So you learned that everything had, like, everything has another meaning behind it. You know, even, like, the way that we sit around the dinner table, like, if you look at a family and you look at where the family sits around the dinner table, who sits where just if you took a snapshot, a photograph of, of like your average family sat around eating dinner, you can kind of like start to draw out and extrapolate kind mm-hmm. of other things from it. Like, okay, so dad's at the head of the table. So dad is seen like the male, you know, dominant male figure, dad is seen as the head of the family, you know, and then where the, where the children sit and, and how they kind of interact, you know, you can start to get bigger things from just, you know what they like to eat and where they like to sit there's there's always everything that we do tends to have a social function you know something that acts to kind of help us through society and do whatever i'd agree yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah and and i feel like i have to ask you this question do you not do the Zandi? do you believe in witchcraft so the answer to that is yes because if it you know if it exists, like I don't come across it a lot in daily life, but the world's a very big place and very strange things happen. Um, and if it exists for a group of people, this is like a politician's answer now. If it exists for a group of people and it appears to exist for them, then it, it exists. If that makes any sense, um, you okay, can only... so, so so existence is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Okay. To it. To it. To, to a, a degree. degree yeah to a yeah. degree yeah yeah you know it's it's just like 
like anything else, you know, beauty, beauty is an eye of the beholder. We all see things very differently. Even, you know, perception, like perception is reality to a point. Obviously, you know, obviously you might perceive that you can, you can cure cancer by smoking cigarettes. Probably not going to happen. But, but there are, you know, I don't know, there's probably quite a weight of scientific evidence behind this. Um, but certainly with things that aren't so sort of scientific and physical, I think all the other stuff, a lot of the other stuff, you know, at the end of the day, if you, you know, if the sky is blue and there are 10 of you there and you all see it's green and say it's green, is it green or is it blue? That's like Schrodinger's sky, is it not? Yeah, Schrodinger's Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's the same thing. So, you know, it's, 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 yeah, perception becomes reality, especially if you're in an isolated community, an isolated group where you all start sharing the same, same beliefs, same vision, same worldview. You know, we, we live in a different world now. We live in a world where we have huge access to information. We can speak to people from everywhere doing all kinds of different things, different opinions. Um, but for a long time, there, you know, for a long time, the world was flat. It still is me. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but, you, but you know, but you know what I mean. It yeah, effectively, yeah, yeah. it didn't matter whether it's flat or not, because unless you were someone who sailed a boat over there, yeah. Like, if you don't fall off the edge, who cares? Um, yeah, exactly. That's really cool. So, like, it's it's funny. Like, if you were to have a, a insular group of people now that lived by one belief, that, that's almost known as activism when you start talking about it. You know, yeah, but. There's also a an innocence to it when it's not used to further up like some kind of propaganda, some kind of narrative. Yeah, I yeah. feel, I that, feel like I'm just beginning to think maybe I should do an anthropology because I'm really interested. And it, it's, <laughs> I suppose I suppose it's the difference with like the Sadie Zande. Like we would have more of an issue if they were people who were like there are witches, but none of us are witches. But the other people could be witches, and they went round to other villages, going and like sacking them and looking for the witches and persecuting people, which is kind of what we did um yeah. as, as a culture but because they're like doesn't really affect us we can only control things within our sphere and the other village is really far away across that desert so they they just you know it acts as a tool the social kind of cohesive tool within their village and actually once they can't find anybody they're like well they must be somewhere else well it's, and it's quite interesting that the two places you mentioned was kalahari second biggest desert in africa and yeah. then um uh, South Sudan, which is the heart of Sahara, really, heart of West yes, Sahara. Yeah. Um, if, if I carried on with different the different kind of groups of people with, that I did a lot of stuff with, quite fascinated, you've got like the Pygmies in the Congo, which are in the, the Atiri yeah. Forest, which is mm-hmm. pretty remote. You've got like the Inca to Tutu and Inuit in mm-hmm. the middle of, you know, so... so Polish, Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, so a lot of these sort of really interesting... Not tallest, highest, not tallest. Yeah, a lot of really interesting kind of beliefs and stuff obviously you know it all it all kind of stems from growing up not growing up i suppose developing slightly within a vacuum um yeah which which doesn't make it not true or not correct because it's you know what is and we're getting a bit like deep now but you know what is truth and reality if like i said if if 10 of you are all there and the sky you see the sky is green then effectively your sky is green no, but the, 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 the what is truth and reality thing is so true. It's because it's, well, that's somewhat hypocritical given the topic. <laughs> uh, the, the, 
this idea of um, Twitter's the one at the minute, isn't it? You know, Elon Musk is going to allow Donald Trump and Kanye West his, their accounts back and um, they're going to be spreading fake news. And like, well, no, wait a minute, what's fake news? You know, what, what yeah. is fake news just everything Donald Trump says? Probably. But in reality, that, that's, that's not strictly true. Fake news to a lot of people is what doesn't meet their narrative. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it's it's like I vividly I vividly remember the Facebook posts when Scotland didn't get independence, and people said this isn't a democracy we voted to to leave, and I'm like, that's not what that means. <laughs> this is just <laughs> fitting your thing. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Truth and reality is an interesting one because, and and even when you get into science. Is science technically correct? Because you can manipulate figures so easily. Well, if you if you read enough papers, there's generally a paper and a counter paper, and of course there is. You know, you and 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 that's the the nature of it is genuinely. And I mean, these days, an awful lot of science is funded by somebody. Yeah. So the, you know, it's funded by a pharmaceutical company, or it's funded. I'm not. I'm not now sounding like a crazy person who doesn't believe in science. There's a, like no, a lot no, of very no. good science, but you know, there's always that thing isn't it follow the money or follow the kind of like the, the trail back and you know everything we do tends to have these other kind of layers and reasons behind it and like with regards to like truth and reality i think there is there are like as many layers the onion you know you start peeling things yeah. away and it's just where you choose to stop is where you're comfortable to be like i don't need to delve any deeper than that you know you start looking at the big kind of conspiracy theories things like september the 11th and all that sort of stuff you know, there are, you, you can kind of keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into the wormhole. And at some point you choose to stop and be like, that's all right. That's that I can use. That's enough for me to form like the worldview. I don't really want to go any deeper. And some people just kind of keep boring deeper. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you generally shape all that sort of stuff to either fit your own narrative or just to kind of, you know, make yourself at peace and comfortable with, with where you are in the world or what you're doing, you know? But I, I don't think you mentioned there you weren't saying you were crazy. I don't think you came across as anti-science. Like, I no. think it's just, if, if we don't accept that science can be manipulated, yeah. because it can, facts and figures can be, yeah? Yes. yeah. What you're saying might be 110% correct, but this also might be, you know, yeah. and they might be completely different things. If we don't accept that that's the thing, that's a thing, then we're almost discrediting science. There's, you know, there's, there's two, there's two good quotes. So my old man was quite a good one for quotes when I was a kid. Um, and one, and it probably, it probably ties. There's two. The first one is I don't know who. I think possibly Winston Churchill. There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah you know, and so statistics can be made to to sort of fit any any picture or narrative. But the other one, which probably relates to some of the stuff we've talked to about you know my slightly acerbic nature is that i remember being a kid and my old man sort of said to me um assume nothing question everything which is obviously Karl mm -hmm. marx yeah and that not was a popular figure it must be said not not a popular figure no yeah. and i was and my, my father wasn't my, my father isn't a communist in the slightest he would be <laughs> he'd be he'd be horrified by that but he's 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 a you know pretty free-thinking guy and so yeah assume nothing question everything um and I think I've kind of probably apply that to everything and everybody, but not in an, not in an aggressive, like negative way, because you're not just taking the assumption of face value and you're questioning doesn't mean you're <laughs> saying that the person is lying or is wrong. Yeah, sure. It's just, you want to kind of question it and, and, and form your own sort of thoughts and opinions based upon, because, you know, a lot of people these days, unfortunately, 
they just get presented with you know news media whatever you know a paper that somebody's linked on google or whatever and then that's that's the answer that's the truth and actually you know you've got to kind of read around and dig if you want to form a more informed opinion but actually you don't have to you can just like it's fine if you want to to just take whatever you you get thrown and go yep running with it there is you know there's no it's whatever kind of makes you happy i suppose and whatever whatever you know some people want so it's like i've got friends who just don't watch the news because they just find it depresses them and makes them yeah makes them unhappy um and i wonder sometimes why i do because i get triggered by it but you know it's so we're all <clears throat> so i was just going to say like you know on the don't watch the news i put my hand up anyone listening yeah. seen this, but i don't watch the news and it's not because i'm like i don't watch the news First off, it's three hours in the morning, can't bother that, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> like, there's... The, the news isn't the news anymore. No. Yeah? There's so many... You've said it a few, a few times already, James. Like, there's so many different ways you can find that. Uh, and and uh, the word news has almost sort of lost its viability because we would have seen the word news in the 70s and whatever as, that's gospel. If BBC say it, it is right, you know? Uh, and as someone who's done some work for the BBC, I think we can all agree that's not right. <laughs> you know? No, but I think the thing is, what I find interesting is that, yes, you know, the BBC aren't just presenting you with the cold, hard facts how it is. But the fact that the BBC presents it in a certain way and that shows quite a lot, that's quite an interesting commentary on, you know, why do the BBC protect it like that? What are they trying to get? What is their aim? Like, why are they, you know, and that's not picking on the BBC, but whichever kind of news outlet, there is a reason that you are being made to think that it is as it is. And for someone who like, for me, having the background in anthropology, that is as fascinating as actually what the truth is. That perception that, that's being kind of foisted upon people says a lot about, you know, current government policy, all this sort of stuff. Like I'm, I'm a pretty, well, as you know, fairly critical thinking, slightly suspicious kind of cynical person. Um, and so I find it really, you know, like I watch stuff like that and I read the news, not because I read different newspapers to an extent and things, not because I'm like, I need to get the facts and these guys are going to give me the facts. But actually, it's interesting to see how they present it and then how the opposing kind of outlet presents it. And, and you just, you know, you get quite an interesting insight into, into the way our world works and our country kind of works. That, that sort of goes back to that truth and reality because we're using the BBC as an example. The reason I said BBC was because BBC Brexit, break, not Brexit, that's basically what it's been for five years, breakfast was the accepted news. Yeah, for, forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, ever yeah. since it's been news in the telly, that's what it was. And the reason I said that was, as you said, it wasn't a target of the BBC. It was purely just that's what it was. And we're saying the BBC and what we really mean now is news. But the, the most seen news now becomes whether it's truth or not that socially accepted reality so what was on the news that's what it was and, and you're, you're saying you use the word cynical which i think's wrong because i think you by nature and i think i am as well are inquisitive yeah yeah because like you've said society's been so drawn to accepting this thing we're told and to the point of and now i'm going to sound like one of those crazy people uh <laughs> which I've, I've done many a time before, so why stop now? When when that accepted new truth, whatever that might be, is there, we're so used to not questioning it 
that's why you look cynical because when someone like yourself or myself or other folk I know that do question these things, it's so far from the norm. And that's been a, a I, long process, you know? I get so. I, there's been quite a few times that I've been accused of thinking too much. So, you know, I just think too much. You think too much into things. And it's like, well, I'm not entirely sure that that's a thing. Um, I don't think you can, you can ever think. I mean, you can overthink things. I get that. But I don't think you can ever sort of be too inquiring. Um, and then the other thing I get is that I spend a lot of time on my own. So my head's full of these like these things and I'm like spinning it over one way or the other way, questioning it, playing it out. You know, I've like had the whole lengthy argument and debate in my head. And then I kind of end up bumping into somebody or like sitting down with somebody and we go from like sheep, 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 dogs to some completely random thing about society or whatever else that I'm like going to try out for fit and just sort of like suddenly sort of in a series of questions and statements sort of throw that out and then get a funny look and some people obviously you end up in a kind of debate but a lot of people are just like what are you on about that's really random <laughs> you know what why what like what and like you you think your your mind's a weird place you think of some weird stuff but you know it makes it makes complete sense to me um and a lot of the time i will like present my case or my argument or my whatever and i'm not telling you that it's right but if i like come up with a standpoint and then you kind of come back at it i might end up agreeing with you but like we've got to start somewhere you know we've got to start with a someone's got to draw a line in the sand and be like so i think this i think and then you go no that's 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 bollocks because of this this i'm like oh i didn't think of that but what about this and and that's kind of you know that's how you hash things out that's how you get things whereas just accepting things like i've never been one for just accepting anything which is another thing that does my parents head in sometimes you know i'll have sunday dinner with them and i mean covid covid was an awful thing so my parents had like full-on you know my my opinions on what was going on and why it was going on and how it's this giant conspiracy whatever it was at the time do you know what i mean um and they were just like bugger off <laughs> yeah and, you know, and and you know i think, I think you, you went to say something there i think we all know what you're going to say about being a conspiracy that sort of thing and stop yourself because it's almost been this accepted thing that's got to be there. I'm not going to come out and say COVID was a conspiracy because I don't think it was. I have openly said I did not want a vaccine. Um, have you not, have you had a vaccine? I've had one. So I've had no vaccines. And I've not, had it before your pressure. I I not, yeah, I've not even not had them because I'm dead against the vaccines. But I, I at the time was really busy lambing and I'm not registered with a doctor. I sort of didn't get around to it. I never got a letter. And then after a while now i haven't had them and the world's not falling apart i'm not really inclined to just go and have a load of random vaccines shoved in my body for something which yeah. appears to not really be a big issue but if you want to go overseas there's all these like you said these pressure things oh you've got to get vaccinated but i'm all right i'm not i'm not i'm not carrying it i'm not spreading anything i've, I've had covid and been ill with it and now i'm fine and i mean i was really ill for a week or two with a really nasty you know chest and cold or whatever but it seems funny, yeah but it's funny you say that we're getting into a totally different thing this podcast is yet to be nothing about food and farming but that's <laughs> what um the, the 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 thing that i always think is quite interesting and in here i am not at all saying anything against the vaccine because i never have i just didn't want it i yeah. am petrified to the point i fainted twice before getting the vaccine of needles i mean ah. I mean, I don't even want to speak about them because I mean, 
I don't be deadly serious. That's how weird I'm about. That's, yeah. And, uh, uh, like that. That's the thing. But I had COVID in December before I took the vaccine, and I basically the limbs went for a bath, and that was me. Yeah, I've lost my smell ever since, but nothing hit me. And then I had the vaccine. Then I had COVID in June, and I had to go to hospital for blood tests. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not saying that's a connection. I'm not, yeah. Because brains, all that sort of thing. But um, I, I didn't like the way it wasn't a choice. And, and yes. I, I was one of the ones that said yes because I felt I had to. My, my yeah. family and my friends nearby weren't pressuring me. It was a pressure everywhere. And it genuinely, talking about that needle thing, it's the last thing I'm going to talk about it because I'm not good with it. The fact that everything on Facebook, Instagram, the telly was needles and vaccines genuinely played in my head. Like, I hated it. Yeah. See, but, I just, you're right though. You hit the nail on the head. So probably like my biggest gripe with it as it went on, was like, I struggle with being told, like, you have to do this because we say so. Like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, I'm a free-thinking human being. Like, no, no. And then we're going to sort of apply this this other pressure to sort of bully you into it. Like, I hate bullying. The one thing that really grates on me is bullying. And I know that's a bit of a, a bit of an extreme way to phrase that. But you did feel a little bit like you were, like, you know, you're kind of getting bullied into doing it without any really solid... Yeah. evidence or background that it was going to do anything and and yeah i just it, it's there's another quote for you one of my favorites is um oscar wilde um disobedience is man's original virtue it is through disobedience that progress is made and oh, that, see, that's a lot of words disobedience disobedience is man's yeah. original virtue uh-huh. it is through disobedience that progress is made oh 100 yeah absolutely yeah you know and it, that's true isn't it you know yeah, yeah. True. And I think I think sometimes, you know, acquiescence to what what you're just told without questioning it, it generally, like through history, a lot of the times when things have uh, not gone very well socially, a lot of it is through people just blindly going, well, you're the boss, so we're going to do what you say. Sure. And, yeah. you know, all following. And we look back and, and now the people who are like, nah, mate, stuff you, are now people we write about in history often as being, you know, like stand-up guys not yeah. saying that the vaccine is the same thing but no no you know it's it's important i just think it's important to not just acquiesce because you're being told that this is what's best for you it's, you the, know, it's, the, topical, it's the topical conspiracy you know yeah. that's that's what not that i think covid itself was a conspiracy not at all uh, and and maybe you do and i have no problem with someone thinking no. that both sides are interesting but i just it's, uh, that's the only reason I really came onto that itself. But um, ne- next week, listeners, I do plan to bring on the opposite of someone that believes that bullying is good. <laughs> but it, but it, it's funny, though, so it links back to that stuff we were saying about science and, and truth. Like, at the end of the day, like, I'm sure COVID very real. Do you know what I mean? People died from it. It was very real. It was very nasty. It was quite a serious thing. But there's always people who profit from everything. Of course. And you start tracing it back and you start tracing back the science is funded by certain drug companies who are then, you know, run by certain people who are going to stand to make billions of pounds if we all get vaccinated. And that's when I start feeling uncomfortable. Start looking around and you think, hang on a minute, like somebody is making a shitload of money out of this. And there's always someone making a shitload of money out of everything. That's apart from farming. Um, But, but it, and it's then you start thinking, well, you know, I'm being very strongly encouraged to do something, pressured to do something. And I can't see a huge benefit for me 
but I can see quite a lot of benefit for Bayer or whatever, you know. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it just, yeah, it just yeah. that the, the little like going right back through to like being a teenager, the little punk kid who was like, screw the man. It, it, it just is the same thing. I've always been a bit of a like, yeah, I've always been that kid. Like, and I still am. I'm 38, and I'm still that kid, as you can probably tell. <laughs> um, yes. So, yeah, just a little. Sorry. No, I was going to say a little bit, a little bit of civil disobedience is quite a good virtue sometimes. Without, as long as it's not taking the piss too much, you know. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's, there's. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And yeah. I am conscious we are currently about forty minutes in, and we've said sheep about four times, and that's about. Um, yeah. So, for those of you listening that have really enjoyed that deep chat about stuff that I didn't have a clue what I was talking about, and James <laughs> seemed pretty smart on, uh, I'm glad you've enjoyed it. If you are interested in hearing about the food and farming side, we'll try and progress on to that now. Um, you said earlier, James, you started not from a farm, but you were around the sector as a kid. Uh, yes. And then you found yourself coming back into it as, 10 years ago, give or take, roughly. Um, oh, so I've been in Hampshire since 2015. Um, so what's that, seven years? So, yeah, so 12 years, probably something like that. 11, 12 yeah. years, something, something like that, yeah. And what... What was it that made that happen? So you've, you've basically went anthropology, master's in anthropology, uh, bachelor's in, in history. It's not leaning itself towards... No. Sort of, you know, no. What, what happened? No, so I, I did my degree, went overseas, lived in various parts of Eastern Europe, ran some backpackers hostels, taught English, had lots of adventures, uh, met a girl, moved back to the UK because that seemed like she was from the UK and wanted to come back and stuff. That didn't work out. Uh, ended up living back with my folks who live in the middle of nowhere in Wales and was at that weird crossroads. We were like, kind of got to do something for a minute. And I sort of, yeah, ended up getting uh, a job as a gamekeeper. I was counselling children in school. So I also did another master's degree. So I did a master's degree in social pedagogy which is a whole other wormhole we could go down, but we probably better not. Um, no, I'm, cr- I'm currently doing a, a master's level uh, in higher and tertiary education, which involves a lot of different pedagogies at higher yeah, levels. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so a my, word I've actually heard. <laughs> yeah, so my dad, my dad would describe himself or would have described himself as a pedagogue, and um, that is what he lectured in and sort of wrote stuff in and is pretty sharp cookie. And so I kind of ended up sort of falling into that, that a master's in, in, in social pedagogy um, and ended up counselling children in a high school and uh, also running, teaching Duke of Edinburgh, running Duke oh, of Edinburgh yes. sort of courses and assessments, uh, taking kids on um, uh, expeditions, uh, doing summer camps, teaching kids bushcraft, all kinds of stuff like that, which is great. Um, and I got a job as a gamekeeper as well on the side through a random conversation at the side of the road. Um, and so was working with kids, keepering on a sort of large farm, about a thousand acres, it was a private shoot, and they had sheep and cattle, and just sort of like had my interest really sparked again. Um, there was a, a field by the side of the, the road on the way into the estate, which is sort of four acres of bramble, owned by an old chap who um, we used to be a butcher. And when he was a butcher, he'd used that field to put a few fat cattle or whatever before they went to slaughter in local slaughterhouse to go to the butcher shop. Anyway, um, I sort of approached him and said, oh, you know, any chance of um, 
me renting this field off you? And he sort of said, yeah, yeah, sure thing, but I'll come to sell it one day probably. And then you'll have to kind of just get off. So I won't charge any money. And it is just an unfenced bramble patch. And actually coming on to the future bit, I ended up buying it when he sold it. Um, so that's now my little piece of Wales. Um, so it's back in Wales. And um, so, yeah, so I ended up in Hereford Market one day, watching the pigs being sold, pig prices on their ass. There was a sow and eight saddleback piglets and someone was sort of saying, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just buy them, sort of bang the piglets on the head or get rid of them and put the sow back in the coal ring. It should be worth more like that. Um, and me being a softy, I ended up buying said sow and piglets, brought them home, cobbled together some random fencing, had pigs, which was just, you know, <laughs> this is this is like, this is, again, long-suffering parents because I was living back in a wooden cabin in their kind of garden. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is it. Like, oh, James has come home with nine pigs. Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, we have pigs. So there was, I mean, the pigs were hilarious. So uh, we electric fenced it, put them in. There was the occasional like, oh, the pigs have gone. Where have the pigs gone? They've gone up the road. One day, one of our neighbours had a really nice vegetable patch. Oh, no. And it was a full, full-grown saddleback sow and nine fairly well-grown wieners um, in said vegetable patch. Um, so hopefully they wanted it rotivated because that's that's what happened but you know and and sort of i think it's important to ask what time of year was that vegetable patch attacked luckily it wasn't it wasn't mid-spring or summer it was (laughs) it was the latter part so it was you know they were just mopping up it was fine it's fine but you know did the whole like ah this is being a farmer chasing my escape stock down the road and uh and paddling around in mud in the dark and all this stuff so it it was you know it was character building um so did that ended up sort of getting a few more pigs fattening pigs selling them boxes um i think i said earlier on i was allergic to gluten so making kind of gluten-free sausages and things like that or i wasn't making them local butcher was really good local butcher um and so we're selling a few of those and decided to get some sheep because that's what i really wanted to get and um there was a lady at the road who had a, a little little farm and i sort of rented a very small field off her with a trampoline which is what she allowed me sort of like half an acre or something in the front of a house and bought three bought two ewe lambs and got given the sort of bottle fed triplet free and 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 so i had three sheep and anyway decided three sheep was like why was i coming and staring at three sheep spoke to the woman she quite liked the sheep went and bought more at about 120 i think for that first lambing um never lambed outside before um got drunk one night on one on pre-loved ended up buying a collie pup that was in someone's house like yeah in the forest of dean so went and 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 got said collie pup who i'd never seen his parents never seen around sheep um matt was mad keen and mad as a box of frogs turned out to be the best dog i've ever owned um still got her she's an absolute star twig um and yeah sort of just started farming really and the estate uh the big farm estate where I'd been doing some keeper in there about 800 views and I think it was like 50 or 60 suckler cattle and stuff um there's a chap there David who was very kind to me and sort of lent me his dog you know came over and helped me get sheep in and bits to start with and just sort of it was a brilliantly dry very knowledgeable kind of guy just one of those like true rural kind of characters so he sort of he squared me up quite a lot and, and brought my expectations back down to reality. Um, and he, I spoke to, I spoke to him the other day and I said something about like jokingly sort of said, well, you know, I'm slightly regretting my life's decisions now, David, in the middle of the winter, puddling in mud, you know, blah, 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 10, 10 years on. And he went, 
well, I did try to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing it since I was 15 and I'm in my 60s now. And I could have told you that a long time ago. So, but, you know, it's so that was great. So did all that sort of stuff. Um, Did that for a while. Trained the collie. She got um, she got really good. Um, started doing a bit of contract work for other people. One guy who I can't think what band he was in, but I, he's he's known as Roger the Rockstar because he was in one of these sort of eighties bands. I wish I could, I wish I could, um, I could remember, but I had like one big hit. You know, bought bought a farm, bought some ground, um, had some sheep, or decided he wanted to establish a sheep flock. So doing a bit of contract work for that, um, and yeah, just just sort of went went along like that, and then ended up meeting a lady um from uh wales who was running a contract management company and she had just taken on uh, a big estate in hampshire called king's clear estates a guy called tim may um to basically run a big livestock regenerative agriculture livestock thing there but they needed a shepherd and one thing led to another and i basically went down there met on the side of the m4 jumped in the car went down thought this is pretty cool. And within a couple of weeks was going down every, every week or two. And within a month had quit my job, packed my bags, taken the dog and moved to Hampshire, basically left the sheep with my old man to sort of chaperone while I was away. Um, And then they, they followed me down. So I went down in, I want to say September, October, and they came down kind of Christmas, January times. They're only back for a couple of months. Um, But yeah. And then that was basically, 1700 use to start uh, mob grazing all in one mob daily moves uh big herbal lays like daily moves right yeah well, daily moves yeah. so it was it was you know proper kind of um yeah it was a full bore sort of regenerative agriculture project um aiming to improve soil fertility and all that kind of stuff from an estate there's a really good if anyone's on YouTube, there's a video called um, One Man, His Mud and His Mutt, which is something that um, Tim, who's the guy who runs Kingsclear, who's like an incredible bloke, uh, put up years ago, right at the beginning of the project, like right when he first bought the sheep, which was just before I came. And it explains, you know, they've been wheat, barley, wheat, barley, wheat, barley mm-hmm. for a long time. Very little topsoil, you know, not great soil fertility, lots of chemicals, Um that kind you know that kind of model of farming and it worked it worked for a long time and they you know in the past they'd had livestock there they'd had dairy and they'd had a jersey dairy made ice cream they'd had rabbits for i think skins and chickens and chickens for vaccine like cultured eggs and all kinds of stuff like really interesting you know like really diverse place and the livestock had all fallen out as livestock had become less profitable in that model and the sheds were more profitable to obviously let out for industrial units and that sort of stuff so they'd gone to a wholly kind of arable model and that had been obviously great for a lot of years, but then there's diminishing returns as the whole country's kind of finding. Um, and so Tim Tim went and did a Nuffield and then he came back and he started to integrate livestock into the estate. And that's kind of a year or two in, they had a load of sheep, didn't really have a shepherd. Tim was doing a lot of the sheep himself, just another child needed a shepherd. And that's kind of how I ended up down there. So I, yeah, I went down there and then the lady who I was working for lost her marbles in the nicest possible way stopped answering the phone or emails or anything and i got left with two awesome lambing students um who i would found who were just come back from the northern territories in australia so they'd spent ages catching kind of feral cattle in national parks and all, right. all kinds of stuff so they were like they were pretty cool with like you know livestock big numbers so we just sort of boshed on and land all the sheep um and did that and then 
basically, to cut a long story short, the, the lady never reappeared and the tender went back out for contract. I tended for it um, and found myself now running a business rather than being a, a, a sort of a contract shepherd, I guess, um, just doing one place. So, so yeah, so that, that, that was the start of, so I had some of my own sheep and I was doing King's Clears and then it kind of went from there and we started doing more contracting the local area for different places, um, tax sheep, store lambs, my flock kind of increased in size, got a little bit big for my boots and started taking on everything all at the same time. Uh, ended up at one point, I think we were about 8,000 views spreading. And across. how big was that? There was me, uh, my other half at the time, um, and really then very few staff. Like we, we that, uh, that was the massive issue, we, like a couple of staff, but this was the massive issue. It was getting decent, which is a huge problem in, in agriculture, getting decent, reliable staff um, who could kind of hack it. Um, and at that point, I probably wasn't the easiest person to work for. Like I've kind yeah. of, you know, I didn't, I didn't get into it to run a business with loads of staff. So I'm quite good with sheep and dogs, not necessarily the greatest with people. Um, yeah, yeah. So social <laughs> anthropology and social pedagogy, two entirely people-based things. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. There is an irony there. So I've kind of learned a lot now. I've definitely got a lot better. But but long story short, there was lots of different people wanting to pull you in different directions. Lots of different people who thought that their their estate with their sheep was the most important thing and, and all that stuff. And a lot of the estates around here, they're kind of used to the model of like employed shepherd, employed this, yeah. you know, like at their beck and call all the time. And so, so yeah, we ended up cutting down a few places um and then i was still doing king's clear and i had a, a nice tenant farm for a while which unfortunately was then mismanaged by the people who owned it which was an organic research trust um and they sold it for horse paddocks about six months into my 10-year time there and booted me out of the house cheers guys just before christmas with all my sheep and so i retreated back to king's clear at that period we sold king's clear sheep which had built up to about two and a half thousand and yeah exchanged them for my own which had built up to about thousands um and yeah so i sort of then built my sheep up so i think probably at the most i was running about 1500 of my own ewes and then various tack ewes um store lambs so tack ewes are basically ewes that come down on holiday bed and breakfast from either wales or we were having a lot up from the romney marshes so lots of cover crops in the winter electric fencing stuff like that um Store lambs, used to buy a lot of store lambs and finish them, buy draft use, put them in lamb, sell those, um, and then do a load of contracting for other people. And yeah, that's kind of where we've been. And then I know this is like a really like whistle-stop tour, um, but basically Kingsclear has got an expanding, awesome sort of uh, grass-based open-air mobile dairy. Um, and we were just sort of rubbing up against each other there's there's you know like as the cow numbers increase and the sheep numbers have to decrease sure. so there was an awesome place next door that we'd already had sheep on and they it was bought by somebody who wanted to do a regenerative agriculture project winner winner chicken dinner tim at kingsclear took on the um sort of contract management of it we went in with sheep it was reseeded with herbal lays it was all great really really positive and then the the lady who owned it who's a 37 year old malaysian model with links to questionable chinese businessmen um i'll say no more decided overnight to rewild it and got on with a great guy who i'll also name a guy called derek gao mr beaver 
who uh, hates farmers and loves <laughs> beavers. And beavers are the most important thing in the world. And so, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now you've got a thousand acre estate with, I think, like eight longhorns, three Tamworth, four Tamworth pigs, and potentially now two beavers. Um, mm. So it's not really been rewilded. But anyway, long story short, we landed in April this year into May, end of June. We had to pack our bags of about 1,200 years in the estate, plus all the lambs at foot, and do one somewhere else, uh, which turned out to be Shropshire. Um, so I made a deal with a chap there who basically had had, funnily enough, staff problems, lost, I think, two or three shepherds in a short space of time. So he had a lot of sheep, about four and a half thousand ewes. So I went up there um, and I should probably say that. So I keep a wool shedding composite, ex-lanas, um, which ex-lana means no wool in Latin. So they're a really efficient wool shedding sheep really ideally suited to sort of extensive systems. And I'm a bit of a, we've had a close flock. Those are the, when I said I first bought about hundred ewes, that's what I bought. So they've been a close flock for a long time and they're a pretty, pretty efficient flock of sheep. And How this would you say to the easy care? Sorry, say again? How would you say compare to the easy care? So the easy care sheep, basically the best of the x and the best of the easy care would be pretty much the same thing. Right, okay. It's just that the x would probably be all recorded and so there's a bit more science of, and figures behind it but like the best the best of both would be fairly hard to distinguish in the field from each other or performance right. it's just that the easy care thing is quite a broad church so you, yeah, buy, sure. you could go and buy easy care sheep that have been creeped as lambs caked you know messed about with whatever um whereas i guess the ex-lanas you're more buying into a brand into a kind of ideology um oh see i was thinking we don't right okay got you yeah, yeah you yeah. know in terms of like yeah. so you're buying ex-lanas from the ex-lana breeding group there's one set group of people who've got different kind of people obviously they that supply you lambs them so we breed you lambs which we sell to the ex-lana group so you'd contact the ex-lana guys and say hey i want 200 you lambs and they might contact right. me and right. the 200, yeah, 200 you lambs would come from me but i can only sell them through them if they've been you know born outside They've got a certain health status, blah, 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 blah. And they fit a certain kind of set of values and criteria. You go to the East Coast Society sale and you'll have lots of very good sheep. You know, you don't, you don't know what else, you know, there's no, they just, it's, it's yeah, it's just, it's, they're, they're not bad sheep at all. They're very, very, very similar. So, um, I don't even know how we, where, we, where we were, but anyway, um, how far we got, Wallace? Uh, you were Getting pretty close to where we are now, is what I understand. You've just came yeah, in Shropshire, to... yes. The Jackson yes. Shropshire had the same kind of sheep. So wool shedders, lots of easy cares, actually, really good easy cares. Um, and using Xlana Rams and a load of Romneys. Um, and so went to Shropshire, spent the summer up there, uh, helped get the sheep sort of squared up up there, and, and had the summer grazing, and unfortunately, probably would still be there now, but the drought, drought happens. No cover crops went in, no grazing. Uh, I was actually speaking to the chap today and he's still really struggling for winter keep. And obviously I had to get my sheep off there uh, in the winter. So I've currently got sheep in uh, Lincolnshire, North Lincolnshire, as far up as the Humber Bridge or looking at the Humber Bridge. Um, so probably closer to you than, than me currently. <laughs> um, and I've got sheep in Wales. Um, I've got sheep in West Sussex. And I've got sheep in Hampshire and West Berkshire. So, well, it, it's funny you say this because we were on the phone or whatever, I don't know, two weeks ago, 
And uh, I was, we were just trying to arrange a day to film this. And you were like, uh, for those of you that can't see, the camera's on me. Uh, when the camera's on me, quite often James will have a drink of his pina colada that he likes to sort of <laughs> move away from his hard person facade. Uh, if you make a noise, they'll see you. When you do that, you've got to like. Ah, okay. I've got to well, like speak while I wave the uh, wave the pina colada. Second pina colada. <laughs> second pina colada of the conversation. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, you've yeah. got to, to deal with me. Um, <laughs> and you'd, I was like, uh, you know, what suits this week? And you were like, all oh, right. So tomorrow, Owen Wales, then Shropshire, then Hampshire, then Lincolnshire, then Surrey. And I was like, right. I've just got to go 10 miles from work. Like, whatever suits you, you know? <laughs> and uh, wow. I was beginning to think, like, why is this man doing this? So could you could you give us a bit of an idea? You've said everywhere that's every, everything's everywhere. What sort of numbers you've got at the minute and, and what, what a day, a, a week in the life of you is at the minute? Yeah, so this this year, obviously, with the drown stuff, we started selling sheep. So we have cut down to i'm never quite sure how many sheep we've got we've only we've cut down it's about a thousand a thousand odd um use like older mature breeding use their maternal use ex-laners and then we run about 150 uh chamois use which were terminal breeds yeah. um and then there's a bunch of ewe lambs as well and then there's obviously uh, a load of store lambs and killing lambs around so we've got i think there's about I want to say 800 odd in Lincolnshire that are a mixture of lambs and ewes. There's probably another, oh, I don't actually know. There's a couple of hundred in Wales. There are um, a couple of hundred or so in uh, West Sussex. But to point out like West Sussex, Hampshire, West Berkshire are actually quite close to each other. Yeah, so no, West Sussex is just no. over the border, just in case. <laughs> anyone's from scotland are thinking jesus this is crazy you know the sheep i've got sheep in hampshire that are then 40 minutes away from the sheep in west sussex which are yeah. then an hour away from the sheep in 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 west berkshire so then we've got a few hundred like i don't quite know we've got dotted around hampshire but quite a few dotted around hampshire um several hundred and then we've got um another couple of hundred or so in west berkshire so it's not it's not huge numbers at the moment we you know we were running about two thousand. Hmm? About two thousand. Yeah, there'd be, there'd be, yeah, there'd be, there'd be in excess of two thousand sheep around the place. There'd be, you know, there's probably twelve hundred breeding mature ewes around, and then a uh, couple of hundred ewe lambs, and then yeah, and then killing lambs. I and mean, there's probably still, it's uh, probably still about eight hundred killing lambs around. So yeah, two thousand odd odd sheep. Um, and we, again, in a normal year, we'd have bought a lot more store lambs. Um, but this year, with a lot of the cover crops not going in, it's just, the store lambs are very cheap, so it really hurt. There was a period when, like, nobody obviously has any keep um, because of the drought. So there were a lot of cheap store lambs around. So I had to sit on my hands. Um, There's a reason and, for that. There's a reason. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. But, like, I did go through a brief period where I was like, I'm just going to buy them. I'm just going to buy them. And, and my father and various other people were like, don't think that's very sensible um so yeah normally we go and buy a couple of thousand or a few thousand store lambs and finish those but we've you know we're scraping around this year so in a normal year we have a massive abundance of cover crops so we live in an area with a lot of arable farms so we are usually fairly shorter on grazing so everything's run on short-term lets no fbts no tenancies nothing like that everything's a 12-month grazing license or even just a couple of months here or there um, but we are slightly ground poor in the summer. 
um yeah. in terms of you know trying to find so we do sort of temporary grass breaks places or some permanent pasture and stuff but in the winter autumn winter and into early spring we usually have uh, rakes of of cover crops so like oats and vetch turnips various mixed greening crops and stuff like that and um you know some like west wall uh, rye grass and all sorts of stuff and so we, we we can go massively up in numbers in the winter so we take we would normally every year take in a ruck attack sheet from wales from one lady and this is the first year we haven't done it um and that would be a mixture of ewes and her killing lambs so she'd send all her lambs down here we'd finish them all send them through to abp uh and then we'd buy stores drafts and you know and other bits and bobs and we would yeah so in a normal year we'd have at least double but probably triple or more what we've got now um and there's usually two of us or two and a bit of us that that sort of bounce around and do it um are they so like, I, like employees of yours or so up until so up until i so i went to, until i went to shropshire a great chap that had been working for me a guy called luke who has some of his own sheep and was pretty much so again before i went to shropshire we were contract farming 700 cattle as well um fattening cattle organic fattening cattle so he was basically a self-employed contractor to a point but was pretty much working for me or in various projects that i was involved with full-time um you know we'd have like several thousand sheep round plus 700 cattle um and then there's another chap called greg who is uh affectionately known as the hampshire cowboy um he is an absolute star um and he is a long-suffering friend of mine that lives in the village. Um, again, he's got his old, own sheep. She is, does, you know, various contract fencing and stuff and tends to come on um, for me when it's needed. So now we've cut down numbers. It's me and then Greg does two days a week and Luke is now full-time arable farming because uh, he's a man of many talents and can actually drive a tractor, whereas I can't even turn them on. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting time actually. We've kind of cut right, right down and like I like big numbers of stock. Like I like big numbers of sheep and I like, like my dogs are why I farm sheep. Um, so we do quite a lot of contracting. So I've been doing more contracting um, for various people. Um, and generally the places we go will be the sort of two, 3,000 new flocks um, because of the nature of, of kind of quite used to handling big numbers of sheep got good dogs got quite a lot of dogs um and do you so, take handling systems then james do you have like a prattley or something like that or do they have do, stuff there yes yeah, so we've got we've got a very bad rap around the prattley but to be <laughs> honest most most of yeah they've done a lot of miles and had a lot of sheep through it but most of the places we go so we do a lot so one of the main guys that we do a load of contracting for are um guys called kaipoi romneys which are based in hertfordshire and they would be um they kind of it's one of the so the guys at Wiry Romney UK, one of the sons from that family, and they've sort of gone off and done their own thing. And then his wife is a joke woman called Joe Franklin, who's like the most incredible, yeah, just incredible woman. Um, sort of big arable farming background. And so they are farming a couple of thousand acres of arable, sort of two and a half thousand Romney ewes, and then they've got a milking flock of about 300, 350 milking sheep and a parlor they've built and all this stuff and they do some amazing stuff um, and they also there's a running theme here currently don't have a shepherd so if anybody awesome who's listening to this wants and always looking for an awesome job that job will be getting advertised in the spring 
for a shepherd there and they would be like incredible people to work for um with a really amazing system forward thinking just like lovely people so if there is anybody got a couple of people in mind yeah he's an aspiring shepherd like they are really cool and he's in Hertfordshire, so it's in the in the southeast but yeah lovely people anyway so we go down there kind of a couple of days a week at the moment or i say we me and the dogs go down there a couple of days a week um stay over there and do some work actually with an awesome scottish chap so their their arable um guy is a is a scottish chap jamie who's just like got foisted into the sheep he comes from a scottish cattle farming background um so he's kind of he's had to jump in with both feet since they're not a shepherd so i i, I go down there and i'll only work now for people i like I only okay, work yeah. with people I like. You know, there's enough work out there that I don't yeah. want to go and work with somebody I don't like or don't enjoy the company. And I go down and it's like two or three days in a row doing, and we get a lot done. Like we'll go and, you know, we're flagged from sort of first light to last light. And we'll go, you know, we've handled a lot of sheep and a lot of different groups and just pretty efficient. But I go down there and I get a truck given to me. There's Prattley's there, there's the kit. So I take the dogs down and we smash out, you know, a week's work in two or three days. And then, I kind of bounce and 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 working with the you know I've forgotten how how great Scottish people can be to you know working with we're working with Jamie is really good crack um so yeah so that's it so there's loads and loads of work out there and we do quite a lot of contracting just been just been kind of half-assed to go uh lambing I don't do a lot of lambing for people um again I'm usually busy with my own stuff but next year there is a chat I might go and do some lambing for in Germany um, really right. awesome guy doing like about I think they're they're about they're about ten thousand ewes, but they've had to cut down to about eight thousand because of a lack of staff. See the theme, um, and so so they're kind of they're fairly up against it. I think there's like two or three of them brothers on about eight thousand ewes. Awesome yeah. grass based system. So they're lambing quite late. They'll lamb through June as well and into July. So you know, so yeah, so I kind of pick and choose my contract work now, and I'm really only interested in big numbers of sheep um running my dogs um and places where they're running similar systems to me um i'm not you know i can i can go into a land with people and i'm pretty good at it but it just doesn't really sort of float my boat massively yeah. um you know i like i like grass-based systems outdoor lambing you know people doing interesting stuff and people who are passionate about what they do and people who are just nice people um and then i'll you know i'll go and bend over backwards for them so, so yeah part in it like yeah. if you're working with someone you're like you are just uh whatever you know you're like i don't why, why am i doing this i can get it elsewhere you know i hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the r2 cast with another really interesting guest i would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today the scottish farmer and i would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Yeah, and, and at the end of this, the end of the thing, unfortunately, in shepherding, there's like a glass ceiling to sort of how much you can charge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I charge a set amount, and pretty much like, if I'm going to work for you, who's a dick, I'm getting paid the same. If I go and work for that fellow over there, he's a nice guy. So, yeah, exactly. if if on you know if if next Wednesday someone who's a bit of a dick wants me to go and work for them for the same amount of money as someone who's really nice, it's a no brainer. Like. Sure, I'm going to yeah. go, you know, so, so, so that's it. And there's so many really nice people who can't get shepherds and staff. There's a lot of like idealistic kind of shepherds, I guess, or people who are like young and want to get into it, but there doesn't appear to be like, I think a, one of the issues is a lot of people want to get into farming because they want to be the farmer, which is fine. They want the image. They kind of like all this idea, but 
actually there are some amazing operations out there with quite a, like a decent number of stock doing amazing stuff that have got the equipment in the background and the and the, the connections and the access to land which is the massive one and you can go and become part of that and you can work with you know work for and then with them a bit like when i came to Kingsclear, you know i came to work for somebody and then ended up working with people and then ended up having my own stock there and and i've kind of progressed and i think you know, it's, it's very easy to desperately want to farm 300 sheep of your own at a loss for five years and then give it up because it's miserable, as opposed to looking for the sort of 10, 15 year model and, you know, work with someone else for five years with a decent number of stock, really build up your skills, your connections, you know, start your side hustles. So as an example, um, the chap, Jamie, I was talking about who works with my friends, you know, he's like, you know, met some other people that he, he does bits with and there's, you know, there's a shed there and, they're now rearing calves. So they, between them, him and another chap, you know, they've now invested and bought some calves and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I kind of working with Rob and Joe on the contracting, you know, they've asked me to, to have a look at the dairy. And there's all these things, people, you know, people want to kind of help people and bring people in and work with people if you've got yeah. the right attitude and you graft. And I think getting involved with people who are already doing it well and to a good level, if you're savvy enough to see that, there's a lot of arseholes out there to work for. So, you know, you're better off just moving on from that. But, at the end of the day, to be able to go and work with somebody already set up, you will learn something, you know, especially if you're a young person, a young shepherd getting into it. And if you can get skin in the game or just knowledge and skills or just building up capital, you know, a lot of these jobs, you've got a house, you've got a truck, you've got limited kind of outgoings. You know, people are paying like a decent shepherd and this is going to this is going to rock the boat. But a decent, you know, good flock managing shepherd is worth 40 grand at least. 40 50 grand yeah like you know if i'm going to work for you full-time as a a flock manager on a decent sized unit i kind of want like 40k a nice house and a truck Mm -hmm. and you know if you're running 3,000 ewes i will try and add that to your to add the value to your business you know it's like 20 grand for a shepherd it's just a bit like come on mate like you can earn earn 80 pound an hour stacking shelves in tesco on a night shift perpetual nights you know it's half the hours yeah oh yeah so 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 at the end of the day like that's what it's worth um but you know if you're if you're a young young bloke or young lass who's like doing that and you can put some money away you know there is there's facility to build up capital to build up contacts build skin in the game and if you look at like the 50 you know not even very long the 15 year pictures you're 25 and you're looking to 40 then that's where you get people who start to you know build their own business maybe even buying a bit of land, getting a tenancy, whatever. You get a lot of people I see, you know, go straight in, like trying to apply for a tenancy and they've got like a couple hundred sheep or so on renting this ground, not really making a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And they're applying for tenancies and they don't understand why they're not getting it. But someone else who's done 10 years and 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 like shown that kind of, you know, it's, it's yeah. And I mean, there are lots of stuff about applications to tenancies that are wrong and it's a closed shop and it's already yeah. like, it's already a done deal. But, I think people forget, like, it's actually quite easy to just get into farming, especially sheep. Like, not cattle because equipment's expensive and you've got TB, not arable because you can't afford a combine and you can't just go and plant some corn. And, you know, but actually sheep, you know, I mean, man, sheep aren't overly expensive. You know, most people can go and buy themselves some sheep and become a sheep farmer, a shepherd of some type. Yeah, for sure. And that's quite an interesting thought in itself because, I mean, uh, you, you said the word easy. It's easy if you're willing to put a graft in. Now, there's two different things there. You know, 
Um, yeah. It is a tricky one to get into, but but I mean, you're proof I yourself. Think, I think what I think what I meant was it's easy to like initially, like it's easy to just go to somewhere. Yes. You can go and get a holding number on the internet, find an old lady down the road with 10 acres that she doesn't want to do anything with, go and buy a few sheep, put them in there. You're now farming sheep. It's not easy to like sustain that, make money at it, be good at it. And actually, you know, but it's, but you can, you can access into the industry relatively simply, you know, as opposed to like cattle, which are a bit more complicated or arable. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I started with sheep. You know, because I could just go and buy some sheep, stick, dog, sheep. I'm a sheep farmer. But it's roots for progression and development and, and, and all that sort of stuff that, and, and long-term sustainability and growth as an industry and obviously individual businesses. That's the really tricky bit. But that's the really, and I think I've mentioned it a few times in various formats, but there's a really, really good Nuffield scholarship. That's the sort of thing that floats your boat uh, by a guy called Michael Blanche, yeah. um, the farming ladder wrote a Nuffield Scholarship called The Farming Ladder. If you Google Nuffield Scholarship Farming Ladder or Michael Blanche Farming Ladder or whatever, that will come up. And he talks about the difficulty, not necessarily in entry, but in you know what happens after entry, like how to build a business and the fact that you know, you've got to be top 5%. You've got to have a certain... And, and he said all the, all the successful new entrants he met that built a business and did well, they all had a similar kind of attitude. They all had a similar kind of outlook. You know, they're kind of like, yeah, well, it is what it is. There's no point moaning about it. Let's just crack on. He said, actually, the Brits were kind of the worst of them because we always had a moan and felt a bit self-entitled. Whereas if you went around a lot of the rest of the world, people were just like, well, it ain't going to be easy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and 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 are cracking on. So so I think it's that, it's that. And in, in British farming, you know, traditionally, there's been a, like, landowner owns farm, worker works on farm. Worker is only working on farm because he isn't going to, good enough for anything else and left school and you know likes to yeah. just buy tractors and that's changed you know there's so many bright bright young people like you'll see them yourself doing what you do yeah absolutely really, really bright young people who could be game changers for the industry but it's how do we get them to be able to progress through the industry to their ones in the driving seat they're the ones making mm -hmm. decisions you know and especially it'd be amazing if there was some like similar to a kiwi share farming uh, share milking model you know there's some there's some really cool guys that have gone to new zealand with a stick and a dog a lot of dutch guys not a dog necessarily stick and a quad you know a lot of dutch guys but brits as well who've gone out there started milking ended up buying a farm ended up buying another farm do you know what i mean and actually there's a there's one guy whose name escapes me who did exactly that he's a scottish guy robert robert something and he went over there ended up buying two farms then came back to the Highland show for a piss up with mates, met his lass, proposed to her pretty much there and then, went back, sold the farms, came back, bought another farm here. Do you know what I mean? I think this is all done <laughs> under the age of 30. Yeah. You, sh you, know. you, should look up, you should look up farming partners. I don't know right. if you're so yeah. it, It's dairy-based. Dairy this is funnily enough, very topical because we just had our winter show. You might have seen me posted about yeah. it. Um, yeah. And we had uh, farming partners donate one of the cups for a points trophy. And uh, basically what they did was Maureen and Brendan moved over from Ireland. I do want to get them on the podcast. Um, moved over from Ireland and wanted to expand, expand into dairy industry somehow. They didn't really strictly care exactly how. Yeah. And they've created a sort of partnership between landowners, like you've been saying throughout, that, that aren't really that involved. They've got this money, that, that yeah. is land, they don't really care about it. And then they've created this system of sort of climbing, a, we could talk about Michael Blanche here, um, climbing a ladder on 
the firm partners management scheme that you then twin up with that owner you then start to gain a percentage of ownership and then yeah. it's, it's really cool actually um so so as schemes out there like that um but that's the yeah. that's the issue it's though it's, it's you know we need more of that and it's, it's just yeah. very difficult it's all tied into the nature of land ownership and tax and and all these other things and, and one of the big like i'm going to upset someone again but one of the big barriers for a lot of the stuff bloody land agents oh, like you know there is there is they 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 spend their life trying to block the communication between folk like myself and folk who own land and folk you know folk who own land want the protection of that but there's always there's always these other agendas and there's always like you know more fingers in it and a lot of time if you can just make the connection with somebody you know don't get me wrong you're like you know land agents really have their place in lots of ways and i've been uh i've just put in a tender today for uh, a block of grazing in essex actually uh coastal sea marshes and salt marshes so 886 acres um and uh, and right right on the the coast yeah, right. So one road in, one gate, three sides surrounded by sea. Um, yeah. Bradwell? So hmm? Bradwell? Place called Old Hall Marshes. Oh, so that's the, there's like two peninsulas. That's the North yeah, Peninsula. The North Peninsula, yeah. Yeah, so, I work that South Peninsula two summers. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful part of the world. You know, I've, I've never been, never been. Like, yeah. drove down there, wasn't expecting it to be like it was. Like, beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've employed land agent to help me with the tender stuff like that lovely brilliant guy uh, works at companies called series rural just like lovely lovely chat you know really useful but i've also had experiences in the past of trying to sort of you know rank grazing or speak to people and and just happen to get someone who's you know anti that anti sheep anti what and you're like if i could do you know what I mean? if i could speak to the landowner actually there's a lot of stuff they could do with like putting in gs4 and all these things that would um, that would benefit them. So there's yeah, British farming is kind of a weird thing. It's quite a it's quite a strange strange beast. There's a lot of opportunities, but it's also never simple. No, <laughs> and for which, sure. as, yeah, as I've kind of I've experienced with lots of grounds. The biggest thing, I think, the single biggest thing um, for people like myself and other people trying to get in is just access to ground and security of tenure, having access to the ground and not having it for only 12 months so you can actually yeah. put yourself into it um that's that would be the biggest barrier i would think and i mean you must be the god 20th person i've had in this podcast saying that you know it's just it's just the, it's, it's the running theme yeah it is um, it is the, the, the two themes are for people like me access to ground and for people with an established business even like myself who build it up access to good staff which is strange when you think that there are loads of like really, really passionate young people who want to get into farming all over the shop. And there are loads of operations who can't find people mm -hmm. to come and do it, which I don't, you know, I don't know how you kind of fix that. It's almost like that connection there, that, that um, recruitment side isn't there in agriculture, which, which again is a shock because there's Delacy, four extra hands, yeah. oh, five more, that's terrible. But anyway, you know, it's there. Um, you mentioned earlier, James, about uh, how there's a lot of great new entrants out there. And that takes me on to the next point. I'm sure you know what this point is. Um, you have certainly proven to be one of them. And I think recognised as that in the last few months. Uh, you were at uh, an award ceremony that you were very um, 
that was a very successful night for you. Can you tell us what I'm talking about? Yeah, so the British Farming Awards. So, yeah, I won a uh, new entrant against the odds category at the British Farming Awards, which I think if you translate that title, it means who's been hit with a shitty stick long enough and still standing. That's, that's <laughs> against the odds. It's, it's not the best name, really, that, is it? No, no yeah. but that is that is basically it. It's like, you know, it's, be, it, it's, it's not even, I don't even know if it's being recognised for your successes, or the fact of like you've eaten a lot of shit and you are still here trying to carry on. Um, because it's not like I'll, I'll openly say, like my farming, my farming business, but my farming life for my own stock. And I kind of forget sometimes when I talk about my farming business, I quite often think about just my stock, whereas yeah. actually the farm business is greater, you know, the contract, the consultancy, all this stuff, it's, it's all that is my farming business. But the bit I'm really passionate about is obviously my own stock. Um, and that's probably at the lowest ebb. It's, been in the last few years um <laughs> but then it's that process of, of dealing with that low ebb and, and and sort of coming through it is probably why i got the award but i kind of looked at it and was like you know if you come and see me 12 months ago we were smashing it we had a, like more sheep we were making a lot of money things were very good you know like and now it's it's very difficult but it's it's that resilience i think and it was yeah it was cool so we so i got um i got nominated and then shortlisted, which was surprising itself. Um, and against some other really great folk, um, some of which I've met, so um, some of which I haven't. And yeah, got uh, my first ever Zoom kind of call was the judging process. And there was some, yeah, there was the previous winner and a, and a few other people and a guy from the Henry Plum Foundation, whose name escapes me, but absolute legend, total gentleman, like really, really nice guy. Like, yeah, it was lovely, lovely. And I basically talked to them. They laughed a lot. We laughed a lot. Um, and I just thought, well, that was quite amusing. And they probably they found me quite funny, but I, I won't won. Do you know what I mean? Um, went to the night, got chaperoned by a friend of mine who is another long-suffering friend of mine, a girl called Nina, who basically came to uh, be my plus one because I didn't want to go on my own. Um, and I thought, you know, taking a very attractive... Um, <laughs> confident young woman was a good thing just in case of any photos so she came along with me held my hand uh, and, and didn't drink too much i however sat at the back of the room and drank my body weight in gin and tonics uh because that just seemed like a really good idea at the time um i was quite 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 nervous feeling a little bit like a fish out of water um it's quite lucky there were actually some people there i knew there's a chap called neil fell he does a lot of contract dipping he was there yeah. as a previous winner and stuff so it was it was it was great it was a great night but I'm just a bit socially awkward in these things. So drink a gin and tonics and then people buy me gin and tonics. And then the, the new entrant category is one of the last or the last category. So it comes up on the screen, you know, blah, blah, blah. and the winner is JJ Lysa, James Edward, JJ Lysa Solutions. And I'm just like, Nina looks at me and just starts laughing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I then sort of like stumbled, not, you know, it wasn't that bad, but sort of go yeah. up the stage like, hi, like get my hand shaking stuck there with a thing snap photo and then get dragged off the stage to a to a farmer's guardian interview where i just came across like an absolute tit um just <laughs> like like oh why did you get into sheep farming you know what makes you so passionate i like dogs i really like dogs um you know and and i quite like sheep too anyway and then they they thrust uh, a bottle of bubbly into my hand and that was the end of that so um yeah it was an awesome night really good night um met some lovely people most of which probably were wondering what the hell i was on about because by that point i was on cloud nine 
as you can imagine. <laughs> Lots of gin and tonics, just won an award. Sent a photo to my mum, who was like, made up. Um, yeah, it's great. So, so that was really cool. It was a really nice night. It was nice to get recognised for, um, like, I've had a lot of shit in the last few years. Like, it hasn't been easy. For sure. And there are some good friends of mine who are just like, one of them said a while ago, we had a we had a bad dude. So someone else's sheep got in with uh, one group of my sheep a couple of lambings ago, just before lambing, um, a few lambings ago. And basically, uh, we were a closed flock and we don't didn't vaccinate for enzootic abortion then. Uh-oh. And they... Basically, we had a love, I think about 1,200 views on bales uh, with a water trough in the centre and on Fodderby. And anyway, like one of the sheep got in, must have already aborted and dribbled into the water trough. They don't abort if they're infected like within three or four weeks of lambing. So they bought the next year. So the next year, I think I picked up 800 dead lambs out of that flock in about three weeks. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So that's like, it was, you know, that's a year when they were like lambs were doing 100 and something pound a head. So I probably picked up 100 grand's worth of lambs dead in about three weeks and they weren't all dead they were being born alive but endoscopic abortion is like placentitis so it affects like glucose and oxygen across the placenta so they were being born you know looking absolutely fine half an hour later on their side stretch their neck hypothermic just you know you get some of them back and i've never had a lambing like it it's that i drove to the top of the hill just at king's clear nearby and i actually sat in my truck and cried like a small child for quite a long time uh, before going back to the house. And um, yeah, it was bad. Like the, I think Easter bank holiday weekend, I've got a Toys of Hilux and I uh, filled the tray in the back. Uh, you know, it was empty and I filled it. It was like mounded. Do you know what I mean? The whole thing with dead lambs. Like I've never, I've never seen anything like it. But after that, my friend was like, if you survive this, like mentally or financially, I will be incredibly impressed. And, we survived, you know, we sold more ewe lambs. We, you know, more, we didn't, we didn't keep many. We sold, sold, sold some of the old ewes off. We did more, I did more contracting. Land prices went up. I did some other stuff um, and tightened my belt and, and we survived. And there'd been a whole, like, you know, I have shitty luck. It's turning around now. I seem to be getting better luck, but over, over a few years, I've had some pretty, pretty shit luck. Um, whether that says something about me as a person and it's karma coming back to bite me in the arse <laughs> or whether it's just, you know, and I, I think sometimes if you stick your neck out enough and you put yourself forward enough, you unfortunately, as much as it does work out, sometimes it doesn't always. So shit goes wrong. But we vaccinate friends who have to get abortion now because that was the worst thing I've ever experienced. That and lambing outside during the beast in the east was probably two of the things that would give me like farming PTSD. The, um, the, the only thing, I mean, the, the thing with the EAE there is one, impacts months and months before not realizing what's coming um and then the the this this sickening sickening feeling of them being born fine not fine but you know you're thinking they're fine yeah and then them not be and and the 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 major major let's even forget finance the mental toll of that must have been hell the, the beast yes, from the yeah. east you're at least in it and you were fighting what you could at the time you know yeah but, the um, the the yeah. worst thing about the like the endootic thing was just the fact that like you know the vet came out we've got an awesome vet so we use a practical lark mead which is down in oxfordshire there's a vet there a guy called jp crilly james who is probably one of the best sheep vets if not the best sheep vet in the country like incredibly knowledgeable guy yeah. and he came out and was just like you know you're right it is what you think it is 
and this is the worst case that anyone's ever seen and that you know even the drug companies were interested um and it was just he just said to me you know there's nothing you can do apart from ride it out like you know you can do certain things with jabs and things you know with alamycin you know oxytet and stuff like that try it slow it down but he was like you know what is going to happen is going to happen and it could get really really bad um and it did get really really bad and it was you know i phoned him in tears at least once um and and that was shit you know i mean and like you said you you kind of it just yeah it just came out of nowhere and you know lesson learned in a sense we hadn't hadn't back we used to vaccinate hadn't vaccinated for years being a close flock and generally not having other people sheep around and but yeah it was it was horrendous so there's a lot of stuff like that which has been really difficult and um it's you know quite badly affected my mental health at various points was it yeah, um, yeah yeah it does and and it affected people like various you know the various occasions of the different things loss of ground all this stuff like you know it's affected relationships at the time and you know, there were definitely people that, you know, maybe rightly or wrongly, I'm, I'm not with anymore because of how I probably dealt with certain stresses and certain things, not like a nasty, violent, horrible human being. No, I just, know what you mean, though, yeah. Nobody wants to live with somebody who is just in a dark black place for a yeah. lot of the time, especially if they are, well, either if they're also involved in it or if they're not. And it's just, and it's just like, you know, why does my other half keep coming home basically in a very black place? So, so yes, the, 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 the award is kind of funny because it was nice. Like at this point in my farming career, I would feel really sham to get like sheep farming award. Cause I think there's so much more scope of what I can do so much further. I can take what I do, but the, actually that was, that was something that I was like, like, I don't feel massively comfortable with those sort of things. And actually that award was like, yeah, actually I'll take that. And I feel quite happy being like, I can see, you know, now looking back, I can kind of see why I won. Cause you're like, yeah, there's been a lot of shit and we're still here and we're still kind of, that probably sounds really arrogant saying, see why I won, but you know, we take a lot of shit and we're still going and still as much as I can get down and negative. Sometimes we're going in the right direction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. So yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. So we're still going and that's, and I am, I'm a, uh, I'm an overall positive person who is prone to massive spikes of negativity, if that makes sense. Like really like, oh, life is terrible. Woe is me. This is all awful. And then an hour later, well, fuck this. Sorry, that's my one swear for the thing. Um, <laughs> you know, we're going to like, we're going to pick ourselves up because there's no point moaning about it. There's nothing we can do. Or if there is something we can do, we'd better crack on and do it because yeah. crying about it didn't solve anything. Never solved anything. Do you know what I mean? Um, and nobody wants to be around that guy you know everyone has limited patience for a bit you know like but no one wants to be around the guy who's always like oh it's all terrible you know so so you just have to pick yourself up and go right best foot forward head down bore on um and just let's just make it work and see where the kind of the ride goes um and it's like this thing now if i don't put this tender in for this ground if i don't get this ground it's very likely that i'll probably sell all or most of um my sheep in lamb in the spring and then if i do that then i'll probably go lambing for longer in germany with wolfgang and do a few other bits and the, the lady who we have tack sheep from usually i'll go and give her a hand lambing because she's absolutely lovely um and then you know i might go i might go on holiday to i quite fancy the northern territories of australia to go and ranch cattle that's kind of a running theme my friend's getting annoyed at this so i better go and do it sooner or later like you know, I fancy some a proper a proper adventure again. So, so yeah, so that's kind of that sounds like a of, technology that does James. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what it was. Wherever I go, I want to like I'm dog obsessed. Like dogs are my life. 
um yeah people always like the sheep guy and it's like no no no. i just farm sheep because I, of the dogs really um and i like you know i've got all kinds of other dogs and i like working dogs so yeah anywhere i can go and mess around with dogs and preferably stock then yeah i'm i'm like i'm chuffed a bit so that's kind of that's me happy you know well i'll, I'll tell you now i'm a cat man uh <laughs> He's just gonna leave now, I think. I know, yeah. I know. Well, you know, the light to be fair, I did for a brief period of time have two cats. They were quite cool, but I, just, I love how they always fight you. I love it. Just yeah, they're just I, I mean I, I find them fascinating as a kind of yeah. as a creature. And I I I I've I kind of alluded quite a few times I like hunting. So they yeah. are, you know, they're just amazing. Like in that sense, they are the most amazing oh, adapted, like obviously some domestic cats, not so much, but just the way they are like they are fascinating very intelligent awesome creatures um i just you know you try and round up sheep with a cat mate and it's really difficult yeah no i think that's why we go with sheep dogs instead of sheep cats yeah yeah, yeah um the uh, it's it's here we've went anthropology sheep dogs cats positivity negativity yeah and you're talking about awesome creatures at the minute and i want to try and end on some kind of really positive note and there is a lovely story that you told me uh and uh sent me a video of um a few <laughs> weeks ago yes yeah, so, I, think, I think it's a top thing to end on so could you tell you know exactly what i'm talking about tell yeah so Ma- mabel the munjack so she's called mabel now so basically um out and about oh yeah would it be a month ago now it's got at least that, yeah yeah, yeah it's just over a month ago so out about uh a month ago and uh the car in front of me clip basically a munchak doe and if for anyone who knows about uh munchak they're a asian invasive deer little deer um we have a lot of them around here and they breed all year round so uh actually best best policy like best practice or whatever is when people shoot them around here you should shoot sounds awful but pregnant does because if they're not pregnant there's a good chance they've got a dependent so anyways this, this doe was there not in a very good state at all and unfortunately really heavily pregnant um dispatched her which is awful um and then noticed her belly was wiggling and just thought oh man and i just i had a knife on me this is gonna sound like horrendous had a knife on me so i was like well you know nothing ventured nothing gained so i c-sectioned her um as you do and removed said baby munchak who much to my surprise was vaguely alive um swung it around as you do a pet lamb rubbed it gave it mouth to mouth so there's a like six foot three bearded dreadlock man you know like bent over this tiny and they are small they're like fitting your hand size munjack like giving it mouth to mouth and rubbing it and then dashing back across the fields like um surrounded by my dogs with like this little munjack like wrapped in 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 my jacket this tiny little thing got her home uh and then yeah gave her some colostrum um got a warm didn't think she'd really make it phoned a friend of mine who's a vet nurse and managed to get a little kitten bottle got her on a kitten bottle and yeah she was quite surprised the next day she was still alive and i had a um for for a few days l- loving life brilliant and basically i'm driving around all the time and everywhere and they need quite a lot of kind of care and attention so there's a uh, lad i know um called johnny who used to be a deer keeper at woban abbey so he's quite he's deer mad and he's reared a few. And so she got, I took her down to Sussex. And so she now lives uh, uh, Johnny's head keeper on an estate. And she now basically thinks she's a spaniel. So Mabel the Munchak is now eating solid food. 
She's eating, you know, she's grazing, eating apples. She's only about six weeks old. And she thinks she's a cocker spaniel. So she like runs the hill with the cockers, like is as biddable as a dog and is a proper demanding little madam. So um, we've now, yeah, there's now a, 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 a Mabel the Munjack who is, who is, is, yeah, is, is down there. And actually they've got a, friends of mine down there as well. I've got a fallow who um, they also bought a reed called Lola. Right. They will run up, run up to you and put a hooves on your shoulders and give you a kiss. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and we have a little bit of another good friend of mine, bottle reared a seeker stag, which we we help bottle reared. So they're cool animals, but like the munjacker, they're little and it's like it, it's like a dog. Well, so, it yeah, was, so the video you sent me, man, was just r- walking around with the dogs in the house. I was like, this is the cutest thing. Yeah, um, yeah. You said it starts negative. It starts negative that the, the mother get hit, but after that, I don't think it's negative at all. No, um, no. Well, you've got to try and. I think that's that's <laughs> probably a metaphor for life, right? Try and make something good out of a shitty situation. Yeah. Um, and that is a pretty good metaphor. And I'm just a massive softy. Like I am a massive softy. Like I love animals to bits. Do you know what I mean? Um and yeah and i've got a quite a sort of soft spot for deer um i mean i like eating them as well don't get me wrong i just think they're fascinating creatures um but yeah so mabel mabel is now living like living the dream she's living her best life um (laughs) yeah and i'm gonna go and visit her soon so she's uh yeah she's a good girl no brilliant brilliant little story to end on but before we end i don't know how many episodes you've listened to james there's two questions i ask everyone um the first one being where do you see yourself in five years and the second being and you've done many of these throughout if you had any tips for folk coming into farming what would they be oh right where do i see myself in five years well so somebody asked me today um what am i doing on the 11th and 12th of january because they wanted to come out and film something and i was like i can't tell you what i'm doing at 11 o'clock tonight let alone the 11th and 12th of January. So five years. This is fun. I know you can see. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, it's one of those things where like, where I'd like to see myself in five years, Hmm. I'd like to have a, you know, secure block of ground, secure holding. um, And I would like to, you know, be running my business out of that, um, running a decent number of stock. And, you know, I'm really into genetics and stuff like that. So I'd like to be, just i'd like to be top five percent do you know what i mean i'd like to be top one percent but um who do you think you are currently uh right now percentage wise in terms of like sheep knowledge i'd be like pretty well up there but i think in overall far overall farming at the moment i'd be lucky to be probably top 30 percent but still you know it's definitely like i'd be a first i think you shot your yeah i'd be a first i'd definitely be in like the in the I, I, you know I, i'm like just above a 2-1 do you know what i mean like i'm definitely yeah. getting i remember yeah. from university 70 percent and above was a first but yeah, like but but, but, we, but should we be promoting a world in which the top 30 percent are getting first i don't no, think so no <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so either um but that's a whole other story but you know i like i mean i without being without being arrogant like i very rarely meet many people who know more about sheep and like how to profitably sustainably farm sheep at least within the systems that we do like there are people who know a shitload more about intensive high intensive indoor whatever you know but but in terms of like sustainable grass-based um grazing systems profitable grazing systems you know profitable regenerative agriculture integrating livestock into arable and stuff like that like yeah i consider myself to be pretty well up there 
Um, and I've got, you know, I'm blessed to have good dogs, which helps a lot. So take the dogs away and I start falling quite far down the stakes. But, you know, I can, yeah, I like, I like, you know, I like trying to be as good as I can possibly be at something. Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of that. It's just when I said sort of top 30%, I just mean at the moment, you know, the last kind of couple of years, especially this year, you know, the, the, the sheep have taken a knock, you know, they're, they're not, they're not what, I would like them to be or where they would like, I'd like to be as a business quite, but we'll, we'll kind of get, we'll get there. Um, but where I'd like to be is, yeah, I'd like to be right top percent and having a secure holding would be a massive part of that. Um, and yeah, I'd also like to in five years time, I'm 38. I'd love to have a partner and kids, you know, I don't, um, I don't have any kids. Um, you know, a very small family. There's currently me, mum and dad. <laughs> That's it um really well they've got extended family but those are the people i spend you know have the most contact with um, i'd love to have children you know i'd love to have like a little mini me and a sidekick uh and and a couple of kids to drag around getting in trouble with um but yeah so that'd be cool and, it, and failing all that i'd like to be uh ranching loads of cattle in the northern territories of australia while looking like crocodile dundee um so that's like that's like backup plan plan B. <laughs> <laughs> I like the crocodile and the idea. It sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then advice. You say advice of people getting into farming. Yeah, I mean, I think you've thrown in hundreds already. Just trying. Uh, what would you say? Summarize it. I think. I think if I had to sort of give a little bit of advice to people trying to get into farming, it would be be real. Like be real, you know, like be who you are and be like, like, you know, you don't have to be a hero. You just have to be a genuine, real person who's willing to put your best foot forward, graft, have a good go. And it's attitude. Like you can teach, like to a point, obviously aptitude, there is a skill level, which some people are just good stock people and some people aren't, but you can teach a lot of aptitude it's much more difficult to teach attitudes. If somebody has got a positive, cheery kind of go-getting outlook, it's not easy because life sometimes sucks. But if you can, you know, if you can, if you can try hard to be somebody who people want to be around and want to work with and want to sort of, you know, help um, and you can have the right attitude and when you get smacked down, you can kind of get back up and shrug it off. You will get a long way. You will get somewhere. You might not get to where you thought you were going to get or thought you wanted to get, but you will get, to somewhere people will you know people will, will will reach out to you and help you and you know and and yeah like just try and have a positive mental attitude and the other thing i think is just like look after yourself that's something that i haven't really said or talked about you know it, it, it at the end of the day it's just farming like it's just a job it is a lifestyle people will say that but it's a job and it's very easy to um forget that if you're not happy, there's not a lot of point. You know, like if it makes you happy, do it. And there's always going to be difficult times and sad times and hard times. But at the end of the day, you know, if it is making you miserable for an extended period of time, then maybe it's not for you. You know, that's fine. You know what I mean? But like, and there's, and then, then I think also there's many, 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 many different ways to get into farming and be a farmer and, 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 and different capacities and different sectors and stuff. And, you know, don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about what other people are doing apart from to learn from them and, and stuff like that. Just be you, be real, you know, have a good attitude.
good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. 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 You're a long time dead. Do you know what I mean? So, but, so yeah, that's that's a discussion we don't need to get into, but I just <laughs> feel something else after, but we don't need to get into that. Um, the, no, no. Uh, I just can't imagine how it stops. But anyway, it does. I know, but I don't know. Uh, what was I going to say? You mentioned that we say it's a lifestyle. We do, and it is, but that is somewhat of a thing we've got to change yeah. on its own. The, the idea yeah. of the, the industry saying it's a lifestyle as a sort of scapegoat for having to pay yeah. people correctly is yeah. a pandemic. That, that's, that's one of my massive bugbears. <laughs> oh, you know, it's just a lifestyle. It's not a job. Well, no, like it's, it's we are producing well, food like- to feed the nation. It's a fairly important job. Do you know what I mean? It Most should be. Money. Yeah, it should be. It should be something which is valued and paid fairly and respected and seen as a profession and like you know you should be seen like we are someone said the other day to me this is like no word of a lie they were like well you know it's fine it's easy isn't it? you don't have to be particularly smart it's just like turn out a few cows chuck a bit of straw about you know move up a bit of shit like it's not it's not clever it's not hard like anyone could do it and you're like jesus mate like it is an incredibly like you go and look at what the average you know farmer does and deals with and you know one day you're a plumber one day you're a you're a vet one day you're a, a business person you know one day you're managing people and all these different things and now you know you're measuring grass you're dealing with genetics you're doing all this stuff and it is you know it is a skilled profession and a and a good farmer stock person whatever which is what we said earlier on should be paid the same as professional anything else you know you like i i would value um and, and you know value a, a really good stock person good shepherd whatever at that kind of you know 40k professional salary kind of thing you know it's it's yeah i think it's really important that yes it's a lifestyle but also it's a bit different if you just have a family farm and no bills or something like that you can probably subside you know subsist on a, a, a you know survive on a low level subsistence but for people all the young people coming into the industry from outside of farming we've got to pay rent and bills and you know <laughs> my house rents like 20k a year you know what i mean it's it, I need what to. Is it? It. Buckingham Palace? <laughs> no, I live in I live I live in Hampshire, mate. If I live in Scotland, it would be like fifty percent. I live, and this is the thing. So a lot of the opportunities for for livestock and stuff like that are in the eastern counties, we're in the south. And unfortunately, it's bloody expensive here. Six pound a pint in the local pub, eh? I, I kind of want to make you feel a bit jealous. My mortgage is two hundred and eighty nine pound a month. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I hate you a little bit. <laughs> hey, you a little bit. Yeah, it, this is but this is the crazy thing. So you know, there's a lot of people you know without wanting to go on to a totally different topic who can't get a mortgage because they haven't got enough of a deposit to put down. Uh, but, the bank, but the bank will quite happily take twenty grand a year off in rent. Yeah. So they're there. You know, they're there for five years. It's hundred k. But because you don't have a hundred k to put a deposit down on a house, you can't have one. And you know, down here, and it is you know, I look at houses up north for a hundred k for a house. There's a house in the village here. Not a particularly amazing house, a million quid. Yeah, it's so. mad. I mean, we we're, we're a totally different topic. We've kind of done this today. Yeah. Uh, this is fun that way. Um, my ex and I bought a house uh, last July, and uh, I would say it had a a seventh of an acre of garden, right? You know, a fair chunk yeah. of garden, 124 meters of floor space, two floors, uh, had all been redone, mm-hmm. stairwell, uh, a Bathroom, an ensuite bedroom, and three bedrooms. Nice kitchen, all revamped. 
uh, in a nice area, and that was 185,000. Oh. <laughs> it's nothing, mate. It is nothing. This flat, mate, I bought mate of mine showed me a house, yeah. three bedroom house, townhouse, you know, fairly well done up in a kind of grove on a estate up in, like a nice estate up in yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hartlepool. And it was, uh, I want to say it was like 65 grand. It's just madness. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, um, it's just, it's just, it's just mental. Yeah, it is. It is. But here, we've been speaking for a good month now. Um, I literally, <laughs> I literally didn't know your name until yesterday. I genuinely didn't. <laughs> just, I've asked you like, JJ, what's your name? I assume it's James and you've never said yes. But uh, yeah, yeah so, my name's James. My name I is James. I had to Google farming awards and look for the weird looking <laughs> one i mean uh <laughs> the one with all the hair yeah for sure for sure it's been great to finally talk to you and for those of you listening if you're interested in getting into farming i don't think there's many better person to talk about it than the person that won new entrant of the year uh, for the country uh, in, in the last couple of months so thank you thank you for that james and i hope on that note wallace if anyone does have any questions or anything like that then like I, yeah, I live alone and spend a lot of time alone. Like I am more than happy to, you know, speak to people over Instagram, whatever, to give my number out and chat to people. If anyone's ever got any questions about anything from sheep to, you know, how to get into the industry or anything like that, like I am more than happy to uh, speak to them. So if you want to get in touch, it's JJ Livestock on Instagram. Um, JJ Livestock UK. Oh, is it JJ Livestock UK? I apologise. <laughs> uh, what I will say is I wouldn't give his number too quick because I gave him my number about three days ago. And since then, he's posted a photo of me and his discussion on Instagram, just <laughs> leaving my number for all to see. Didn't even put my name in his phone. <laughs> I told you, not very technologically savvy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just hope you don't end up messaging your mum some of the shit you send me. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, no, it's been a pleasure, mate. Really enjoyed it. Been yeah. cool to sit down and chat. We have been speaking for an hour and forty-eight minutes at the minute. Mm. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a good time, and unlike. Uh, the much more, how will I say this? Um, the much more skilled podcaster uh, at Meet the Farmers podcast. I will not be editing it down at all. Uh, it will all be going. I love the way that you, you tell me this now at the end that you're not editing it. Oh no, <laughs> at all. No, no, no. I always tell folks at the end so they, they never uh, so they never show up. But um, no, it's been really good chat. Really enjoyed it. I hope everyone listens enjoyed. Next week we will be speaking to someone. I hope she does currently have malaria. So this might not be happening. Someone in Zimbabwe. She's okay, though. She's okay, though. Uh, someone in Zimbabwe uh, who is a blueberry agronomist, Blythe. So that's going to be a really cool chat. Uh, and then I believe we've got one more week. And then it's the Christmas special. I'm not going to tell you who that is yet. Uh, I know you know them, James. Um, but I don't know if you know who it is, but you know who they are. But I appreciate you coming and listening. Hope you've enjoyed. And we shall see you next week. Well, that's it. Another R2Cast finished, another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time uh, and it always has done, but I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required. And I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.